0: All right, what do you guys think of those lights slamming on like that? Yes. So, welcome to the Fall Retreat. You guys excited? Yeah, I am. I'm excited. This brings back a ton of memories, guys. We had in Ames a Fall Retreat that was at a camp very much like this. Uh, and I get like, like my heart literally just starts to like get adrenaline, starts to like pump into it when I like come into camps like this, just because I remember Like being a freshman, being a sophomore, being a junior, being a senior, and coming into a camp like this, sitting in whatever this is, a gym, I don't, you know, whatever this is, sitting in a room like this, like worshiping, hearing the Bible open, and having my life changed profoundly. Um, Every single forward retreat I went on, I can look back to those weekends and say that God changed my life immensely in a really short amount of time. So I've been praying this week that God would do that. For you guys, so uh, Drake introduced me a little bit, um, but I want to throw a picture of my family up here again. Um, is it over here? Yeah. Okay. So this is this is uh, my wife Steffi, and my son Silas, um, and what's interesting about our family is so you guys know Jordan Adams, yeah, yeah, you guys know Jordan. Okay. Me and Jordan, great friends. Okay. Um, Drake was like off in Iowa City before I got there, before me and Drake hung out and so me and Jordan were like really close friends and we worked on staff in Ames together at at Salt Company in Ames and we kind of, we got married like similar time and we kind of had this idea that eventually like one of us would get pregnant and then as soon as the other one did then the other person would and so kind of without communicating to each other, we're like super close friends we're always talking about this, who's going to get pregnant first we're just kind of talking about it and we'll see, we're taking our time we both get pregnant essentially at the exact same time, okay? And so we're like texting each other like, dude, we're pregnant. And he's texting me like, dude, so are we. And I'm like, what the heck? What are the odds of that, okay? And our due dates are like really close to each other. We're like, how crazy would it be if our kids were born on the same day? And so me and Jordan, like, we're like super close friends. So we're texting each other like, okay, how's it going? Like, how's Justin be doing? And he's like, yeah, he's like doing well. And I'm like... Man, I don't know. Stuff's like ready to have this kid out. So we're like texting each other, figuring out as it gets closer to the day. And at 3 a.m. on December 5th, I wake up to a terrifying scream, okay? My wife is like screaming, and we've been trying to figure out earlier in that day, like, you know, what counts as contractions, what doesn't. And in that moment, we're like, oh, that counts as a contraction, okay? Like that's the stuff earlier today. We were playing ping pong. That wasn't the real thing. This is the real thing. So anyway, we get to the hospital, so we're driving over there, and I'm like, no way. And so like, we're in the hospital, and I text Jordan. And I'm like, dude, we're having a baby. We're at the hospital. And he's like, dude, no way. So are we. And we're like, what are the odds of this? This is crazy. And the whole thing we were both thinking about was whose kid's going to come first? <laughs> whose kid is going to come out first? It was Silas, okay? It was. (laughs) Silas crushed it, okay? (laughs) I know you're big Graham fans, and Graham is amazing. And honestly, ever since the birth, basically from that, like, few hour span that Silas came out first, since that span, Graham's been, like, bigger. He's speaking more words. I mean, he's crushing it in every other category. But Silas was born first. And so the reason I I even share this story uh, is because tonight, (laughs) it's a story in the Bible about a birth, and it's actually a story about who will get birthed first, it's the story of Jacob and Esau, okay? So you've got a Bible, pull it out, Genesis 25, and as you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of a, um, some window into what this weekend's going to be. So we're going we're gonna to open the Bible together, and honestly, these are three, like, kind of random passages. We're going to, Jacob and Esau, we're going to be in Philippians, we're going to end talking about Stephen, like the first Christian martyr, and you're like, what is the, all over the Bible? These are passages in scripture that as I've tried to be a disciple of Jesus, these are passages in scripture that profoundly shaped me. As I'm trying to figure out how do I follow Jesus as someone who has sinned but has a desire to follow Jesus and I want to follow him and I I don't want to just follow him in a normal kind of way that I see some other Christians doing. I want to like really follow him because I love him and I want to be like the disciple that's like right clipping at his heels with my whole life. And so maybe you're in the room and you kind of have that kind of a vision for your life and you're like, I, I, I want to figure out what that looks like. These are some passages that have helped me. But there are also passages if I tried to figure out even like, do I want to follow Jesus? What's this whole Christianity thing about? I think that these passages actually give you a window into that as well, okay? So Genesis 25, we're kind of jumping into the story here. And so everyone know who Abraham is? little bit yeah Abraham okay Abraham's this dude that God basically picked out of the crowd (laughs) and it's like hey the world's really messed up it's not the garden of Eden anymore I'm gonna pick this guy Abraham and he puts this like blessing on Abraham he's like I choose you you're gonna be my guy and not just you but actually your kind of whole family line and so actually as we're reading Genesis you have Abraham Abraham has a son Isaac and then Isaac is gonna have these two kids named Jacob and Esau And this is an incredible story we're in tonight. Maybe you've heard it before in church. Maybe you've read it before in your Bible reading plan or something. But it's a story about brothers who grow up in a failed marriage. It's a story about favoritism. It's a story about a father's favoritism, a mother's kind of manipulation. It's a story about blessing. It's a story about collusion and deception. And in the midst of all of us, it's a story that actually tells us something really profound and important about Jesus Christ. Okay? So it's a story that has two chapters. The birth and the birthright. And then the deception and the blessing. And so I want to just kind of zoom in. We're going to jump right into the text here. I don't have any kind of fancy intro. Genesis 25, 19. So this is the first kind of chapter of the story. The birth and the birthright. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. And by the way, when you're reading those words in your Bible in front of people, you just read them. You just read them, you pronounce it however you want, and you don't look back, okay? No one else knows how to pronounce them either, so you just read them and you go. And Isaac, amen, and Isaac prayed to the Lord, his wife, because she was barren, okay? So she's not having kids, so Isaac starts to pray to the Lord, his wife, because she's barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Look at the next line. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? By the way, if anyone ever uses that language and said, if it is thus, that means it's not going well, okay? I don't know what that is. It's just, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? I don't know. Anyway, that's what it says, at least in my translation. So she goes to inquire of the Lord. It's like, what is going on? There's something, like, I've I've heard of pregnancies. I haven't had one yet, but this is not normal, right? It's like, what's going on is not normal inside of me. So she comes to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, but the older shall serve the younger. So, this kind of prophetic moment that happens to Rebecca, she's pregnant. And this is a very countercultural thing the Lord kind of prophesies over this birth, okay? Very countercultural. It's the opposite of what you'd expect, okay? Because the older never serves the younger, right? In this kind of society, in this day and age, to be first meant you were like the one that everyone else served. To be first was to be best. But in this situation, he says, The younger son is the one I choose to bless. That's his prophecy over the whole thing. But let's look at the story as it continues, okay? Verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all of his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Let's read that again. That's very weird. (laughs) The first came out red, all of his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. It doesn't get any less weird. Um, Verse 26, after his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, which literally means heel grabber or deceiver, okay? Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Okay, so we're going to look at this weird birth story in a second, but I want you to just notice one thing here. How old is Isaac when he prays to the Lord for his barren wife to get pregnant? How old is he originally? Forty. How old is he when God answers his prayer? 60. Okay, this isn't the point of the story, this isn't the point of the sermon, it's just a side, It's like a side panel, okay? Some of you have been praying for things, and it feels like God has said no. And some of you have friends who you're like, I want this person to come to know Jesus. Even friends from high school, whatever, and you're like, I've been praying for this person for like weeks, months, maybe even like a year. And you have this tendency to think, if God has not answered yes, it means he's saying no, and I would just say, actually, maybe what's happening in your prayer life is God is actually training you to learn dependence on him and to actually learn endurance in your prayers. Because this just literally says, Isaac prayed, God answered his prayer. But then the actual reality of history is that 20 years it took. So just really quickly, what I want to say is if you have something that's on your heart, that you care about, and you are praying about, don't stop. Don't stop. Never stop praying that prayer. Keep praying, keep banging on the door of heaven like Jesus tells you, because if you bang long enough, he might actually just say, yes, 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 I will. So 20 years, I just want you to notice that, because that stunned me. I was like, I've never prayed for anything that long. I give up in like two weeks. I'm like, God, do this. Two weeks later, I'm like, all right, I'll move on, (laughs) right? Don't do that. Keep praying. So this story, I want you to picture this, okay? There's these two nations within her, and it says that these two kind of these two nations that are within her, Jacob and Esau, it, it says that they struggled within her. And like this is actually like a weird thing to translate because the Hebrew is actually this idea of like they like smashed themselves together. And it's this Hebrew word for like literally breaking of skulls or like the smashing of reeds. So it's like this super intense, you're like, what is going on here? And so like she's literally in this like tremendous physical pain, because like the kids that are inside of her are literally like fighting. Like they are fighting inside of her and the fight they are having is a battle to be first. Who will be the first out? Who will be the best? Who will be the child? So there's this fight even in the womb. Who will be first? Who will be best? And then this scene is really disturbing. So, right, it's like chaotic. There's a struggle, like smashing of skulls. It's crazy. And you picture this birth scene and it's like really kind of weird and graphic, right? And it's like there's this birth scene and like this, this huge struggle and like all of a sudden like, You're like, who's gonna come out first? And then there's this, this like, like this red, hairy Chewbacca creature that comes out. And you're like, and it's like just really weird. And so they're like, this hairy creature that's red is coming out of the womb. And like, I don't know, I pictured the Bible stories in my head. And so it just, they're like trying to get this kid out. Like, literally, they're trying to pull him out of the womb and he won't come out because the other kid is grabbing onto him, like, won't let him go. And so like this other kid in the womb is literally trying to pull him back in so that he can be first. That's crazy. That's what literally what is happening. And so they literally pull this red Chewbacca character like out and then Jacob literally comes back and he's like, no, like he comes out of the womb second. That's crazy. Can we just just admit that is a crazy, crazy story. And so they're like, okay, your name is Esau, and you, second kid, dude, your name's Heel Grabber. Like, that's just, like, that is your identity. Is like the kid who tried to pull the other back in and couldn't, and you just came out, like, holding on to his leg. It's a super disturbing scene, okay? But I want you to just, like, feel, like, the, the weight of that. That even from the womb, there is this anger, there is jealousy, There's wrestling. There's this fight to be first. And this is where the story gets really sad. Look what it says in verse 27. The Bible sometimes just moves really quick in the story. And sometimes we can just move quickly past these words. But I want want to help you just learn how to like sit in some of these sentences, right? This is what it says. One verse later. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. While Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So this story, right from the very beginning, is trying to paint this picture. It's saying, from the womb, there is this desperate fight to be first, and Jacob loses. He is second. And not only does he take second place in his family, he takes second place in his father's heart. It just literally tells you, Isaac loved Esau. Let's look at the next verse, 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And so Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Now there's also some weird stuff happening in this text because when it literally says like give me some of that red stew, like the Hebrew literally repeats it twice, it's weird. Like he's like delirious from hunger and so he comes up and he's like give me some of that red stuff. That red stuff. He like repeats it twice. Okay, it's super funny. And so it literally says, "Therefore, his name was called Edom, which means red." Okay, so this guy comes out hairy and red, and then eventually he has this moment where he's like, "Give me some of that red stuff, that red stuff." And they're like, "Dude, (laughs) you're—we're calling you Big Red from now on." Okay, like that's just your name. Like you now are Red. Look what Jacob says. The very next—the very next verse happens so quickly. Jacob said. Sell me your birthright now. Sell me your birthright. This isn't an accident, right? Jacob's actually been calculating this moment. He lost the battle at birth, but he was going to win the battle today. And so you have to picture Jacob, right? Like he's literally on the edge of the wilderness, conveniently just like, oh, I'm making this stew here, (laughs) you know, calculating. He's like, you want this food? Are you really hungry? Are you famished? Are you kind of on the verge of death? Well, you can have it, but just sell me your birthright. Now, what is a birthright, right? Because we're like, birthright, what does that mean? Does it mean like, you know, you don't get all the hand-me-down clothes that I did? Like, what does that mean, right? And so what a birthright means is that whoever came out of the womb first meant a ton in this culture. It meant like honor in society. It meant status in the family. But even more than that, it meant inheritance. And so the firstborn... ...meant a lot when it comes to do with inheritance... ...because the firstborn son would get a double portion... ...of whatever inheritance the family would get. So if you have four sons... ...you would split the inheritance four ways. But if you're the firstborn son... ...you'd get a double portion. So the firstborn son gets half... ...and the other three split the other half. So that means if you only have two sons... ...the inheritance is split in two... ...and the firstborn son gets a double portion the second born son doesn't get anything. So to be the first born son meant an unbelievable amount. But this inheritance means even more because who is their father? Their father is Isaac, the son of Abraham, which means that God had chosen this family to bless the world. This is a normal family. This is like the family that God had put his hand on, that his presence was kind of following around and blessing and putting grace on their life. This is the people that God had chosen to bless the world. It wasn't just kind of a monetary or material inheritance, it is a spiritual inheritance, and it is of inestimable value, right? The entire story of the Bible is about God using this family and this unique blessing on this family to change the course of human history. And so Esau says, I'm very hungry. I am famished. I am about to die. And Jacob says, sell me your birthright now. What does Jacob do? Verse 32. Esau said, I am about to die. Okay. I'm very hungry. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, well, swear to me now. And so he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and he drank and he rose and he went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Okay, strange story. Very strange story. But the narrator of the story actually tells us how we're supposed to view it. Right? The story doesn't end with thus Jacob stole Esau's birthright. The story ends saying thus Esau despised his birthright. Even though Jacob is presenting as kind of this cold, calculating, cheating brother, Esau is the one that receives the final critique. And actually in the New Testament, the New Testament looks back on Esau and it speaks to us about him. In Hebrews 12, it says, make sure that no one in the church, no one in here is immoral or godless like Esau who sold his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. And there's something here for us. It says that Esau is... Immoral, it says that he's godless. Why? Well, it's because Esau was the kind of person who would put a single meal in front of the forever promises of God. He was the kind of person that chose immediate physical pleasure instead of the lasting spiritual promises of God. And this story is meant to be stunning. Because Esau literally trades the blessing of God for what we find out at the end of the story is literally a bowl of beans. Right? Bread and beans. That's what he gets. It's not even red stuff. It's just a bowl of lentil stew. And the New Testament is saying, don't be like that. Don't be like that. And if you're like me, you actually resonate with that story a little bit. Because you have, just like me, a little bit of Esau in us, right? Driven by our passions. Too foolish to actually think about the future Where we trade God's lasting blessing or his promise for something that seems really quick and really pleasurable in the moment. And this is what always happens when we choose to sin like this, right? Our eyes get big, our mouth starts to salivate, we start like look at this red stuff, like it looks really appealing and beautiful, but after we've eaten and after the decision is done, what we were longing for doesn't look so appetizing anymore, does it? It's like that stuff that looked red and vibrant, all of a sudden at the end of it, you look back and you're like, that was bread and a bowl of lentil stew, which everyone knows is the worst stew because there's no meat in it. Am I right? Just kidding. But seriously. But seriously, lentil stew is horrible. It's meant to speak to us about that. And it's literally saying, hey, you Christian." You have a father in heaven who is like putting promises in front of you. Not just for 10 years, but actually for your forever future. And there are going to be moments in your life where you are going to see something that seems really appealing and beautiful and red and vibrant in the moment. But just the trade you have to make is, I take this or I take the promises of God. I believe that this bowl of beans... Is the thing I want, or I believe in the forever promises of God, and I choose to live that way. And Esau's story is actually meant for us to say, don't live like that. But there's way more to the story, okay? This is the second chapter, the deception and the blessing, because the story of these two brothers continues. And so Isaac lives his life, okay? This is the father. And at this point in the story, he is old and he's blind. And he's literally on his deathbed. And what's true about Isaac is Isaac is actually a pretty messed up dad. He's a pretty messed up person. But because God had chosen him, the blessing of God was on his life. And at the end of Isaac's life, he had one job to do. And it was actually to take kind of the blessing of God, the spoken blessing of God over him. And he was supposed to transfer it to his sons. So they would kind of continue this lineage of the spoken blessing of God. But look what he does, chapter 27. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called, Is- he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now take your weapons and your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt some game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so I may eat, and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, what is going on here is actually really interesting because a normal blessing, what would happen is you would gather the whole family, you'd get everyone, you'd even get people from around, like the neighbors, you'd bring everyone, and the firstborn would get the best blessing, but every son would get a blessing, right? So it's like you bless the firstborn most, but then every other son would still get a blessing. Isaac doesn't do this. What Isaac does, he sets up a secret meeting where he can give. All of the blessing to Esau alone, because he loves Esau alone. And Rebecca, his wife, hears about this. And Rebecca loves Jacob. And so she's on the other side of the tent, she hears this, and so she hatches a plan with Jacob, and she's like, we can't let this happen, you have to be the one that's blessed, because I love you, Jacob. And so here's what we're going to do, you're going to actually go, and you're going you're to get some food, we're going to prepare this food, and you're going to basically go and pretend to be your brother, and you're going to take this food into your father, pretend to be Esau, so that your father will bless you, instead of your brother." And she starts to explain this plan to him. And he's like, I don't know if this is a good idea, but okay. And she says, here's what you're going to do. Listen to me. Do what I say. And so she says, you're going to first go into the flock. And you're going to go get two young goats. First of all, what kind of man eats two whole goats? Okay, I don't know. I just read that. Like, that's in the story. Like, he doesn't say one. It says, go get two whole goats. So that... Said something about Isaac. I don't know what it says, but two goats. Okay, anyway, so it says, go get two young goats, and this is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna prepare this food, okay? Get the two young goats, I'm gonna prepare this food, and then here's what you're going to do. You're gonna take your brother's clothes because they smell like your brother, right? Your brother, this kind of hairy creature, he smells very unique, right? You're gonna wear his clothes, and then you're gonna go in, and your father will think it's you. And Jacob's like, This is a horrible idea, okay? Like horrible idea and, she, and he's like well what if i get close to him and he like feels my arms right and you're like what does that have to do with anything well this is like remember he read Harry chewbacca creature and so he's like what if he feels my skin he'll know it's not esau and so they literally catch his plan he's like take the goat skins you're gonna put the goat skins on your arms and around your neck so that if he feels you it will feel like esau and you thought i was joking about the chewbacca thing no that's he literally feels like a goat okay that's like he really does And so Jacob's like, I don't know if this will work. And his mother's like, yeah, it might not. And maybe you'll get a curse. But if you do, the curse will be on me. I'm just telling you, you have to do this. This is the only way. And so Jacob goes along with this plan. And he takes this food and he takes this goat skin. So you have to picture him, right? Like he's covered in his brother's clothes that are way too big for him. Because his brother's big and strong. He's not. He's got goats like hanging off his skin, like kind of wrapped around his arms and his neck, and he just walks into the tent of his father, probably shaking with this food to bring to him as he's pretending to be his brother, and this is how the story continues. 27, verse 18. So he went into his father, and he said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly? Normally it takes a long time and you're back so soon. Well, he answered him, because the Lord your God granted me success. And then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near me that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to his father Isaac, who felt him, and he said, The voice is, is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, One last time, are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. And then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and I may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, Ah, see, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that has been blessed by the Lord. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and let nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. And so Esau prepares this meal and he comes into his father just like Jacob had done. And his father's like, "Who? Who are you? What is going on?" And he's like, "Well, I'm Esau. I'm your firstborn." And Isaac starts to put the pieces together because this voice actually sounds like Esau's voice. And he's like, "I just gave the blessing to your brother, not you." And Esau is furious. And he starts to plead with his father. And he's just saying, okay, well, okay, but, but like, can you give me anything? Like, he's a deceiver. We knew that from the beginning. His name even means deceiver. Is there anything you can give to me? And Isaac is saying, no, you don't understand, Esau. I was trying to give you everything. I kept everything from him so I could give it all to you. There's nothing left to give you. I was trying to give everything to you. And now I can't give you anything. There's nothing left. And so verse 41, this is how the story of these two brothers ends. At least in these chapters of the Bible, it says now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which with his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning my father are approaching and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Okay. This is a profoundly broken family. Right, Isaac tries to cheat the system so the only Esau is blessed. And Rebekah tries to cheat the system so the only Jacob is blessed. And Jacob lives and deceives and cheats like his blind father on his deathbed. But then Esau plans to seek revenge by, by promising to kill his brother. And part of what we see in this story is that your sin never actually just affects you, but it affects everyone around you. Like the decisions that you make don't just affect your life, but they can actually affect the trajectory of your family for generations. And if you actually kind of followed in the Bible up to this point, if you like know the story, like you know that Abraham, like years ago, he wouldn't fight for the dignity of his wife. And instead, he prioritizes his comfort over her safety. And so decades later, Isaac walks in his footsteps and does the exact same thing to his wife, Rebecca. Just sin. And division is born and unity is destroyed and husband and wife are not a team anymore and then twins are born and they both put all of their hope in one of the sons. Both children are loved and adored by one parent and despised by the other. And Jacob learns deceit and manipulation from his mom and Esau learns this kind of like appetite and lust for anything from his father. And years go by and deceit and bitterness and resentment grow And eventually, one brother decides that he's going to kill the other. It's generational sin, right? From a grandfather to a father to a mother to children. Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau, there's no innocent party, okay? And, like, honestly, you could spend, like, a whole weekend just looking at this family because it's really jacked up. But I just want you to see one person. Jacob. He's kind of who the whole rest of this story of the Bible is going to, like, continue to talk about his story and I want you to just think about him for a moment. Because Jacob was struggling for blessing from before he was even born. Or like before he's even out of the womb, like he's struggling for blessing. And he came out second. Right? His bigger, stronger brother got there first. And from that moment on in Jacob's story, Jacob would never be good enough. Right? He wasn't a good hunter like his brother. He couldn't cook like his brother. He wasn't strong like his brother. And his father didn't love him like his brother. Jacob wants blessing more than anything. Jacob wants words of affirmation from his father more than anything. And when he can't get it naturally, he lives up to his name, deceiver. He manipulates the impulsive, foolish character of his older brother. And eventually, at the end of his story, he will manipulate the impulsive, blind appetite of his father. And I want you to just picture that scene, right? Because put yourself in Jacob's shoes for a second, right? Because you are in front of your blind father and you are literally dressed up in your brother's clothes. And he's asking you this question. He's saying, who are you? And you're responding, I am Esau. I'm your firstborn son. Are you really my son, Esau? He says, I am. And Isaac eats the food, he drinks the wine, he pulls his son in for a kiss and he smells his son and he actually pronounces a blessing on him. And he's saying, oh, this is my son. Like, this is my son. It's a smell of a field, blessed by the Lord. It's like he's saying, I love you, I bless you. You are unique. You are special. I am proud of you and you will go on to do great things. Jacob, in this moment, he's finally hearing the words he has wanted to hear for his entire life. But the words ring hollow. Because Jacob isn't hearing these words from his father as he looks into his eyes. He's hearing these words from a blind man who thinks he's someone else. I mean, how ridiculous is this scene? Like he's literally manipulating an old blind man by wearing clothes that are too big for him and he literally has goat skin on his skin as. his arms and his neck. Like it's one of the most ridiculous scenes in the Bible. Like this man is literally wearing a goat, trying to convince his dad, he's his brother, so that his father would finally pronounce a blessing on him. It's a ridiculous story. It's crazy. But the more I think about this story, the less ridiculous I think it is. Do you ever feel like that like Jacob in the story do you ever feel like that and I don't mean like do you ever (laughs) like dress up in a goat costume like maybe you do I don't know that's don't tell anyone that if you do Um, I don't mean that what I mean is do you ever spend your time pretending to be someone you're not do you ever do that Like you spend your time pretending to be someone you're not because you think that maybe if you can pull this off, you might actually hear the words you want to hear. Jacob wants to be blessed. He wants to be approved of, loved, and praised. But Jacob isn't strong. He isn't first, and he isn't best. And so Jacob does what we all do in this situation, and he begins to deceive. He begins to pretend. And what he does is he tries to turn himself into the kind of person he thinks will get the blessing do you ever wear a disguise like that some of you um, you stay in the library till closing time every night and I don't know if maybe your library is not open so you're like no I don't I can't go there <laughs> I don't know but you like would stay in the library till closing every night Like you're the very first person on the Zoom call, you're the very last person off, right? Like you are like really intense about school and it's not because you just love your major and you love studying, but you think that if you can get this job, then your mom or your dad will finally be proud of you. Then they will finally bless and affirm you like you want and so you pretend to be an engineer, you pretend to be a microbiologist, you pretend to be a doctor so that you could finally hear the words you've actually wanted to hear your whole life. And some of you, you do this with your image. You do this with your body. You do this with the clothes you wear. You do this with your TikTok or Instagram account. And you try to like become the kind of person you think will get likes and the kind of person will get this kind of spoken blessing over your life of people of the opposite sex or that one person you just really want to value and affirm and speak blessing over your life. But some of you, you wake up really early in the morning and you read your Bible and you don't cuss and you don't drink and you don't go to the bars and the disguise that you are wearing is the Christian disguise. And you think that if you just live a certain way, then you will hear the praise of God and the praises of the people around you. And so you pretend to be a much holier person than you really are. And you hide your sin, you deceive those around you because you so desperately want to be the kind of person you think God would bless the kind of person the people around you would speak a good word over. Do you ever wear a disguise like that? I did. I remember all the time in Salt Company doing that. Can I just be like, real, just real for a sec? Like, I remember doing that all the time. Like, I remember being a Salt Company leader and like having stuff in my life that was really jacked up, and I felt like it wasn't okay. And so I remember like walking into Connection Group or walking into a retreat like this and putting on this like disguise and saying like, this is who I am. And it's like put together Christian David who prays really well and doesn't have all this sin in his life. My guess is that some of you, like that's your story. And you're actually doing that this weekend. And you've been doing that at Salt Company. Do you ever wear a disguise like this? I think, it's, I think it's possible that the irony of Jacob's life is actually the same irony of our life. And I want you to just picture this with me, okay? Because Jacob, he swindles his brother out of his birthright. He deceives his father into giving him a blessing. And he cheats and he steals and he pretends. And he literally spends all of his life fighting to get a blessing, And eventually, actually, later in the story, if you keep reading in Genesis, Jacob will actually wrestle with God. Like later in the story, at night, he will meet God and the same wrestle that Jacob has had with the entire world and all the kind of systems that be, he's going to have that same wrestle with God. And he's going to literally hold on to God and he's going to say, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You have to bless me. I won't let you go unless you bless me. And it's like in this moment, like you're, it's like the story is like helping us see, not just like Jacob's story, but our story. That It's like all of the struggle that we have in the world to try to be best, try to be first, to try to like, you know, ascend that ladder in your classes. Whatever it is, you're trying to find some avenue to get the blessing. It's like this story is saying the thing you really want is that you would be able to hear your creator see you and know you and say, you are good. I love you. I value you. I like you. I'm proud of you. And in this moment, at the end of Jacob's story, he's wrestling with God. The same wrestle he's had his entire life. He's wrestling with God and he's saying, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And the irony of this moment and the irony of Jacob's life is he cheated and he deceived And he struggled with everyone around him in order to be blessed. He spent his entire life doing that. He was a horrible person. It caused so much devastation in his life. But he's always fighting for blessing. He wants it so bad. And the irony of his life is that the blessing of God was already on him the whole time. He was the child of blessing. Before he was born... God chose him and said, the younger son, that's the one I choose. He's the child of blessing. I pick him. Jacob spent his entire life trying to find and trying to get what God had already freely given him. And I think a lot of us are like this. We are running throughout the world. We're pretending, cheating, struggling to get a blessing when there's actually another older brother that's already shared his blessing with us. And that's what's so cool about this story because what, this, what the gospel does is it introduces us to the, the older brother that is, is in this story but he's not mentioned, and it's Jesus. Every single story in the Old Testament, even, even weird ones like this, and you're like, what do you do, what, what is the story about? They're all about Jesus. Because Jesus is the older brother that's not mentioned in this story. But when he comes into the New Testament, you realize that this older brother is completely unlike both of these people. Because unlike Esau, Jesus, this brother, he wouldn't sit alone in the privilege of his father's love. But actually this brother would give up his privilege so that he could share the father's love with us. And this brother, Jesus, he wouldn't struggle and fight to keep the blessing for himself, but he would actually struggle and fight to give up the blessing for us. And unlike Jacob, this brother wouldn't pretend to be something he's not so that he could take the blessing from us, but he would pretend to be something he is not so that he could take the curse from us. And this is what Jesus is doing on the cross. The firstborn, blessed, loved son of God was trading places with you you could never disguise yourself as him so what he did is he disguised himself as you he became the deceiver and he became the cheat and the bible just says that he became sin for you so that you would become the one the father loves so that you would become the one that God is proud of So that you would become the one that God the Father would pronounce his blessing on. We've spent so much of our lives trying to pretend and steal our way into the blessing. When all along we have had a brother who has already given up his blessing to give it to us. And this is the good news of the gospel. Like this is good news. This is amazing news. And, And the question is how would our lives change if we really believed this? Like really, how would our lives change if we really believed this? And not just our life, but how different would Jacob's life have been if he believed that? That he didn't need to fight for approval and blessing from the world or the people around him or even from his father because the real approval he was looking for, the real blessing from God that he was struggling for, if he believed that his true older brother had already given it to him. I think it would have changed literally everything about his life. Everything his story would have been so much different so much less pain would have been in his story if he actually just believed that and i think that if we believed that everything about our lives would be different as well some of you in here you you are wearing a disguise like and i, and I want to just be honest with that like that like you are jacob like you're wearing a disguise and No one in here might know the real you. Like, no one in here might know you at all. (laughs) You might have put on such a mask and such a front and said, like, this is who I am, when, like, actually the real you is, like, totally different than that. And I just, I want you to know that God, your Father, he sees past all of it. Like, you're not deceiving him. You're not fooling him. He's not blind. He sees everything. He sees the things you think about. He sees the things you look at on your phone. He, he sees the stuff you did with that boy the first week of class that you even told anyone about. He sees your doubts. He sees your skepticism. But because of what Jesus has done, when your father in heaven sees you, and he doesn't just like see part of you, like he sees you to the very depth of who you are. Like He knows like how many hairs are on your head. He, he knit you together in your mother's womb. Like He knows you to the absolute core of your being. He knows you so much deeper and fuller than you could possibly know yourself. And what I'm saying to you is this story, but also the whole story of the Bible, is telling you that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, when your Father in heaven sees you to the depth of you, He loves you. And he pronounces, blessing on you you are the son he loves you are the daughter he loves there is unbelievable freedom in this like unbelievable freedom in this because if you don't believe this and you don't get this your life will be like Jacob's You are going to be on this hamster wheel of performance and identity and you are going to try so hard to become the kind of person that gets a blessing from this world or that guy or that girl or that professor or your parents and it will be exhausting to you. This is an invitation to live a different kind of life where you don't go out and try to earn something, but you actually just believe that Jesus Christ has done it for you. Like we said earlier, that you actually believe in your heart, it's actually finished. And you don't have to earn it. Ephesians says that actually every single blessing in the spiritual realm is yours in Christ. Every single one. Like there's not some other blessing that if you work hard enough you might get that, no. Every single one is yours because the blood of Jesus has been poured out. And when the firstborn loved Son of God trades places with you, there is not a fuller love or a fuller blessing you could get than the blessing Jesus had from his Father. And because you love him and you put your faith in him, that means that actually the firstborn blessing of Jesus Christ becomes the blessing you get. And so some of you are in the room tonight and... You're like, you're new to Christianity. Like you're in the room and you're like, dude, I, didn't, I just came, they told me football. I don't know, <laughs> I'm here. And what I, just, what I wanna say is this. I know what it's like to live a completely exhausted life. Like following the course of the world as the world says, this is what will get you blessing. This is what will get you value. This is what will help you become the kind of person that we will stamp approval over in this world. And I just wanna say, I know how exhausting that is. And I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is offering you a way out of that. He's saying, you don't have to live that life. You don't have to play that game. You can try your entire life to get that, and maybe you will get that in the world, but the whole story of the Bible is saying the thing you really want, like the thing in the core of you, the depth of you, the thing you're longing for and looking for is actually for your creator to see you and to pronounce a blessing over you. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's not something you work for anymore. That's something you have. You don't have to look for it. You don't have to become anything. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus and that becomes your reality. But some of you, you're in the room and some of you, you know this. Right? And even as you like hear me talking, you're like, okay, this is cool. This is like a good In intro talk for some people but I I know this is true because I believe in Jesus and I've received the gospel if you know that this is true then why are you living like it's not like if you believe this and you know it's true then why are you exhausted all the time trying to become somebody and become something why is one of like the main phrases you use about your life is I'm really busy Because we're busy trying to become something. We're busy trying to get something. We're busy trying to do something and become something. And listen, the goal of following Jesus is not just to agree with the gospel and say, I agree, his identity, I take that. I believe in the gospel truths. The goal of being a disciple of Jesus is not to just agree with truths about Jesus. The goal of being a disciple of Jesus is to actually learn how to believe this in such a way that you actually live it out in your life. And so some of you in the room, you might be like, I I intellectually agree with this. My question for you is not, do you believe in it intellectually? My question is, what would change in your life if you actually started living like this was true? And you don't have to get a blessing because Jesus has already given you his. I think it would change everything about your life. Let's pray. Jesus, I love this story because I feel like Jacob so often. <laughs> God, I, I struggle to be honest with my sin, and I struggle to be honest with who I am. And God, I look out at the world, and I see a lot of people, even, even in like spirituality, who are like, They're smarter than me, they know more than me, their lives are more holier than me, and God, I I start to compare myself to others, and and God, I start to think that I have to actually work and perform and get on this like hamster wheel of performance in order to become the kind of person that you would be proud of and you would bless. And Jesus, we're all in this room, and that's actually all of our story. We all feel that tendency, God, because we actually want blessing. We want your words of life to be spoken over us. And so Jesus, I just pray right now that as we sit in this room, as we even start this retreat, God, I pray that all of us would hear through your spirit you pronouncing a blessing on us and that, God, that would be such a real experience and that'd be such a truthful experience that would actually change the rest of our lives Would you do that? And God, as you do that, would you help us worship you? In your name, amen.